All right, and welcome to the All Digital AM Podcast. This episode originally aired as a video on the All Digital AM YouTube channel. Hi, everybody. Welcome. My name's Adam Penna, here today to continue the conversation in 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And I'm very happy today to have Katie Tucker. She's from Detroit, Michigan. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. It's been a heck of a week here in Austin. We were talking about that a little bit before we got started, but uh, everything's settled down now after a lot of power outage and, and water uh, problems with the snow here. That never happens. Uh, but yeah, doing much better now and uh, happy to be here talking to you because uh, it's already been a heck of a year. But uh, I know we've already been all been through one. You know, what a year so far. And I uh, had a couple great conversations with you in the past. I know we even you invited me to a, a learning panel. That was a, a really good time that we got into a few different things happening in, in additive and a bunch of other industries. And that's where my interest came in talking to you. You approach this from a, a different perspective. Um, you've been an adjunct professor and uh, working in, at uh, Lawrence Technical University and Portland State University. But before that, even the Daimler Trucks Engineer for four years. Wow, that's that's really cool in your past. So I know now you're working at work, right? You're, you're a founder over there at work, and that's W-E-R-K. Uh, it's the Holistic Team Training. So Talk a little bit about that. Like what, what's been going on with uh, being a founder and having a startup like that for the last four years and kind of getting involved with different communities. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we really have a couple of different areas that we serve, but we're an innovation strategy firm and we help organizations go through intentional moments of transformation. So in the service sector, you know, we have one arm that works a lot with like NGOs, government, where we work on service design and how do we build community, things of that nature. But the other area that is really interesting that we've been getting a lot of traction and getting really excited around is around new technology adoption. And we're humanists, we're human-centered designers. So everything we do comes from the human perspective. So really, our work is really trying to uncover how do we adopt new technology in a way that kind of serves our communities, serves our society in an appropriate way in the future. So that's where we get, that's where we get really excited. Yeah, no, that, that's, it's a lot of it. You know, in the 3D printing industry, you talk about parameters, you know, in, in life, you can kind of apply that. There's a lot of parameters that go into that. Yeah. And, uh, understanding that from that, that holistic, I guess, view, it's, it's difficult. It takes a while to kind of incorporate those things, especially as you move along. But if you're not aware of them, you can become up against some some pretty hard obstacles. So I, I know that's got to be a lot of great work, especially dealing with people and understanding them and seeing where they actually come against the walls of whatever is uh, happening in their specific workplace. But now I know also you get into like a lot of different things with human-centered design. And can you define that a little bit better? So how does that actually look inside of the workplace? Yeah, so we have a lot of levers that we can pull when we're trying to solve problems. And there's three areas that I think the way that it's most traditional described as, you know, there's three kind of areas that we need to take into consideration in order to make a solution, a successful solution. One is making something desirable. So that's the human side. Is this solving a problem that we have? Is this creating a better condition for us to live or go about our day? And that's first. So with human-centered design, that's where we start. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't consider the business side of things. So is this a viable solution considering, you know, money and other kinds of resources? And also, is it technically feasible? So in new tech technology adoption, oftentimes we get so excited about the technology itself, right? This is a very exciting kind of frontier. So what we do is we, yes, acknowledge it, but we say, okay, now let's let's back this up a little bit 
And let's look at the, the challenges that are out there and really try and find through human need where the best application of that technology is and the best way to apply it. One thing that I'll also say is a lot of human-centered design innovators focus on kind of the end product and the end user, right? So how to make a better something for your customer. But one of the things that we see a lot of value in is in the new technology adoption space is not really just for the end user. Yes, that's who we're all trying to serve, but there's so many more people along that whole development channel and the development chain before we even get there, right? So we look at the whole system and say, well, how can we make this easier for the designer? How can we rethink the value chain and the development process? How can we, you know, kind of look at the whole system and see how this new opportunity through new, you know, using a new technology can start to impact the way that we are all working as part of the system. So there's a lot of work to do there. <laughs> no, there is. I mean, that's kind of, you know, the the big view, the overarching looking over everything that's happening. And when you talk about, you know, inside of additive manufacturing, you know, look at that whole design cycle into actually what happens when you push it out into the world. And then you have to look at its life cycle and what happens at legacy. But that whole time, even before that, like you're talking about when you're in, you're taking a technology and you're bringing it into a company, there's not only getting used to it, understanding what it is, what it could do, but it's the training that happens in the beginning with the people that are taking it over, but also the whole company because the, not only the people that are using it, but the people that are actually there working around it have to know what it's good for, what we could, why we, we brought this into it. So everybody has the buy-in is what I'm getting at. And that's a hard thing to do. It's like if some of this technology, I guess, to get to a bottom line that happens, it's unfortunate, will sit, you know, and it will sit because people just don't understand. They got involved in the hype. They bought it for a certain reason. They didn't realize, you know, exactly what they needed to do or they had one application that fizzled out and it didn't go anywhere else after that. So that whole buy-in is a big part of what you're doing, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. There's two things I'll say about that. You know, I know that I'm not unique in the story. We all had, we've all heard the story from somebody who says, yes, you know, we, we've bought that. It was a, you know, it's collecting dust. So additive manufacturing is not for us, right? right. We don't yeah. need that. I think that one part is kind of looking at it from an organization perspective. So an organization that does create things, an engineering department who might have, you know, an additive manufacturing kind of prototype machine. Maybe we're getting into making some low volume type stuff, maybe in house, but then when you start thinking beyond that, really, it's not only getting that organization excited about it. So, you know, here I am in Detroit, Michigan, if we were to talk about automotive, it's yeah. not just about getting Ford or GM or or an automaker, an OEM excited about it, but it's also how does that play with our supply chain? So how do we get that excitement level and, and socialize the technology kind of at the same level? Because if there's an imbalance, right, one side's really excited and the other is not, whether it's the OEM or a supplier, the adoption is is misaligned, right? So a lot of what we what we do is we create the conditions for those excitement levels to to rise at the same time and air areas of interest to, you know, kind of help guide those conversations so they can be more focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of that is looking at design criteria. Uh, you know, we're talking about the beginning stages of actually understanding. I was going through this conversation and it's, it's wild. I've actually been involved with a new uh, craze right now, a new app out there called Clubhouse. And, yeah. uh, you know, when I was inside of these rooms talking, because basically it's like, a, you know, when you go to a trade show and you get to sit there and walk into different rooms and hear different people talking about the subject matter and you could contribute by raising your hand or, or uh, actually be on the stage and, and monitoring what's going on. So there's 
all levels of interaction there. But a lot of the feedback that I kept hearing was, you know, along that stage, understanding the difference between 3D printing and additive manufacturing, you're looking at, you know, two words and they said they mean the same thing. Well, the key difference, obviously, is that word manufacturing in there, right? And when you get to that stage, you have to look at totally different things. And it comes down to quality and repeatability. You know, those are the big Mm -hmm. things. You have to repeat what you're doing and it has to be of the same high quality as the last one. So, that whole different way of thinking from just becoming, you know, a 3D printer, everybody could start 3D printing in their home, doing things, prototyping all the way up to now production. And that's where that additive side comes in. But that design thinking now, okay, you've identified a part that's great and you want to 3D print it. But why would you take it to the manufacturing side? And okay, since you identified a part, that's great because now there's all these other attributes that go into 3D printing. And now you might be able to gain those benefits of light weighting, of you know, an organic design, or, or there's so many things that go into what can make a design iteration better. And if I, I was thinking of how big of it is just a key to know you want to 3D print something, because then you could start looking at all that design intent going forward. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what are some of the motivations and pain points behind that? You know, really what we do is we say, we look at how do we change the experience? And this is where we say, let's let's pull from our end use, right? Our end user in identifying what their current challenges are, what currently is working for them and saying, okay, how do we shape the experience? Um, we want to increase the customer's experience level and create a more valuable product in the end, right? And what this allows us to do is by giving more value, it also kind of raises that top line revenue rather than, which is a very different conversation than saying, you know, I, I had this thing and it was injection molded and can you 3D print it for a cheaper price, right? right so that's yep. just attacking the All bottom conversations line. Conversations start out there a lot of times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we, you know, and that's a conversation for somebody else. That's not what we do. We say, how do we use the technology? How can we use the unique capabilities of this technology to create a very different kind of experience? And what is the value of that? So Ah. by identifying the value drivers, you know, by looking at those value drivers from the end user's perspective, and the end user might be the the customer, it might be an assembly line worker, right? So making things easier to assemble. Yeah. Right. So there's kind of downstream customers or users that we can consider, but but by saying what are their needs and how can we address those needs in a new and very different way than we have before in a better way, that's how we start to evaluate what components are good candidates for 3D printing. Ah, um, yeah. And by looking at them from a needs perspective, that end user might not care if it likely won't care if it's 3D printed or not, right? They just want that experience. So it's also an opportunity to say, well, you know, maybe it's better fluid dynamic control, right? Yep, so we can sure. change the, the the ambient air quality without having, you know, a, again, I'm kind of thinking of a cockpit of a car, right? Without having the sure. wind blowing on our face. So if we look at that as an example, we say, well, okay, so how do we start to change that? Where do we need to start to change that? And where does it make sense for additive manufacturing to fit in? And do we supplement that with another kind of technology? So being technology agnostic, but understanding yeah. that we do have these value drivers from additive manufacturing, we can start to look at combination solutions, right? Mm Multiple um, tools in the toolbox. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I mean, that's, a, that's part of that. Uh, you, you don't know where it's going to lie in the value chain. And 
if you have this, somebody that can actually walk through all those kind of steps and take a look at that, it becomes more valuable, right? Yes. I mean, that's really what you're talking about, adding value to that end result. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. But when you talk about specialization, that's uh, kind of uh, the market you're in. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this conversation. This is really neat to know where that goes and where it comes from. And it's important because I think a lot of times people get siloed, right? They get into their own little, you know, whatever they're doing, whatever they're pushing, whatever their process is. And to have that outside perspective is a big uh, help nowadays, that's for sure. And the more applications all boils down to really, we need more applications. You know, yeah. we need more applications inside of 3D printing, out of manufacturing. I mean, advanced manufacturing is what it is and and 3D printing out of manufacturing has its place in it. And there's going to be more and more applications. Right now, we're really on the lower end of that, you know, and it's exciting mm-hmm. to see as more things happen, as machines become larger, faster, they could print more, you know, lower the cost per part or, you know, per application, basically. That's where all you get more and more applications that fit inside of that particular frame of building. So it's exciting. I just like the uh, the way that it's approached and uh, the kind of different ways people are coming at adding to what you can do inside of 3D printing. Loving this conversation. There's a lot that goes on and that, that even brings to the point of a design for additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It's a different approach, right? Than you do other manufacturing methods. So, so what do you work with with the design for additive manufacturing part? We really specialize in early concept, pre-CAD concept development. So where we come in and where we kind of maybe book in or help support the design for additive manufacturing is a lot of what we do, although it is in service to design, it's really organizational change, right? And Mm -hmm. culture shifting. Where we see a lot of value for for our clients is in through this process of kind of unlearning, right? So if we have a designer, an engineer who has been designing for more traditional manufacturing technologies for their entire career, and now maybe stepping into additive manufacturing, we have to kind of unlearn those rules of thumb that have become really ingrained almost into our DNA as a designer, right? So it's different constraints for different tools, right? And that's absolutely, absolutely. And it's, and it feels so simple to say, but it is such a big and very real thing that everybody has to kind of go through and to look at it from like an academic exercise where you say, okay, well now I don't have to have draft angles and right. So I'm like really simplifying. It's very different than in practice, right? And so we work with teams and we work with folks to kind of give ourselves the room and the space to say, okay, well, we're starting something new and how much time do I have to allow myself to develop these new habits, to develop new ways of thinking? So that's where we specialize is really kind of really in the mindset shift that happens. And of course, as technologies develop and, and become more sophisticated, there are a lot of tools out there that are great, but we're, we're on that kind of mindset shifting. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching an old dog new tricks. That's what kept coming to my mind when you're saying that. I'm always trying to learn new tricks because you get kind of stuck and everyone does. It's it's part of uh, learning. You get something, you get good at it. And then to incorporate and a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a practice, right? It's, it's a yeah. consistent practice. Yeah. I was going to say, as soon as there's like a tight deadline or there's, you know, there's some stress or somebody's expecting something yesterday that's not done, we fall into our there's old- the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, fire, fire the fire comes. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we fall into our comfort level, our comfort yeah. zone, um, yeah. whether we want to or not. So good stuff. I, um, so even it, all these things are kind of educational, you know, uh, as far as training and getting people to understand how to think outside of what they're normally doing. There's certain learning tools that go with that that you provide, or or what is that 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 backs up the learning side? So it feels very educational, and and there is you know 
training on different methodologies to go through. You know, we participate a lot in like how to train the trainer. So developing a competency and a capacity within an organization to propagate this work because it is organizational shifting. It is culture changing. It is talking in new ways and in thinking in new ways. And so that is a part of it. But I think where our clients have found the most value and and what we get most requests for is really kind of learning through doing together. So it's through, sometimes it's a six month process and we say, okay, we're going to an exploration exercise and let's do this and we'll meet kind of on an ongoing basis where we walk through the processes of kind of discovering a little bit about maybe our end users or who do we need to need to consider from kind of that human desirability side. We do consider, you know, what are the business objectives? Do we need to attack the bottom line, not just add additional value to our customers, right? So then what is the technology capability? And so by going through that analysis with organizations and kind of at, at key milestones or key process uh, opportunities, yeah. yeah, we kind of train that way of thinking through the application of doing wow. so. Yeah. Yeah, So we stick with people through, you know, oftentimes through like uh, proof of concept. So like early prototyping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, you've talked a lot about that, that feedback loop inside of there and how actually that grows knowledge and actually helps the culture change. But yeah, that's a big thing with uh, any company brand. If you don't have a culture that's ready to do the, the things that you need to do, it, you're going to disintegrate real quick, you know? And so this is this building value of the culture inside of a company. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. if you think about all of our clients that are business to business, if if you're working in a business to business capacity, it's not just your own internal culture, but then how do you start to, you know, build up your ecosystem with, yeah. with that kind of capacity and thinking? Yeah, so, it's a big part of that. You get in the partner supply chain, the whole nine yards of it, right? That's continuing that same culture. And those are the type of people that you bring to you and you want to work with because they're all, you know, they're all part of that culture. That's, that's hard. That's a that hard thing to farm and to grow. Yeah. And, and it takes a while. But once you have the right tools, and and it sounds like you're providing the right tools, so that's exciting. I mean, I can't, there's so many companies that are struggling with this, especially once, you know, there's a lot of startups out there uh, that have a lot of great ideas, but they, they, you know, it's hard that that cultural shift of being able to let go of some things that you're doing by yourself when you're growing is a difficult time. I just think the more of this that, that obviously the right companies have, the better we are. So thanks for being out there doing that. And that, that kind of leads me to the other side of it is, you know, that's a part of culture is servant leadership, you know, giving back and actually being able to, like you were saying, propagate what you've learned throughout your company, your Mm -hmm. supply chain, your partners. So, you know, talk about that. What sort of collaboration happens on the side of the servant leadership? I think one of the, again, one of the values of having any any outsider come and facilitate these conversations is that it allows a driving organization. So if you imagine your company with maybe a, a partner in your ecosystem, maybe it's a supplier, maybe it's somebody that you're trying to do business with, it allows you to sit down at the table and kind of explore as equals, right? And then there's sure. somebody else who who kind of provides the facilitation side of that, facilitates that conversation and that exploration. And that's where we are. And I think in terms of like kind of thinking about the term servant leadership, what we do, and I think this is maybe how it applies, is we really understand that everybody is in their kind of along this innovation journey at at their own like different stages. So it's all about meeting people where they are. And it's not about, well, we're, you know, we're being more innovative than you. We got here faster or whatever, or you need to hurry up and catch up to us. But it's more about we're at these different locations along our journey. How do our visions and our goals align? 
Mm-hmm. And then how do we start to get there together and build that supportive community around innovation and development? We try to cultivate the conditions where it's less of a, this is what I do and this is what you do and more of a, this is what we can do together, mm-hmm. right? And this is how I can help, you know, maybe push you outside of your comfort zone or pull you along kind of my thinking and then, you know, cultivate those, that, that back and forth. Yeah. Opening those lines of communication is culture. You know, if you're not able to communicate with every part of what's happening inside of what you're building, you don't have a culture, you know? So I love hearing that. That's real. You know, it's that human centered part of it you're talking about. We all need that connection and we need to have a company or an organization grow. You need to have that fluent culture inside of there where everybody's has the same things in mind of where they're going and how they're going to get there together and feels like they're empowered to do so. That's the the hard part, right? A lot of times uh, when you're, when you're on the outside of that, it's something like this that can bring a company together and really do some great things. So, wow. Yeah. All amazing stuff. Uh, thanks for uh, talking about this today. I know uh, it's been a while that we've been talking. How are things uh, going for you now going into 2020 and what's your outlook for this, this year? Been an interesting yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. For all of us. You know, now. yeah. A lot of the ways that we worked before is really, you and I were talking about earlier about how, you know, bad weather can create the shared experience. So although we don't like the bad weather, we kind of have stronger community that comes out of it. One of our biggest tools is shared experience. Traditionally, it's been in person, right? Sure. Um, so what does this in, in person shared experience look like? And, and now, of course, we're transitioning into like, how do we start to do this? You know, when there, when we already have maybe separators between us, you know, you're from one company, I'm from another company, or you're from one department, you're from research, I'm from design, you're from product strategy, whatever. Yeah. So now we're saying, okay, well, not only are we going to kind of break down some of those walls, but now we've got to break down this wall of the computer screen interface, yeah. right? And virtual um, world, yeah. This virtual world. And so it's been really exciting talking about, uh, thinking about, you know, teaching a old dog new trick. You know, we've oftentimes relied kind of sticky notes and markers and things that are really tactile. And now it's, it's all collaborating online. So that's actually been really exciting because we've been able to really embrace it and, and think about, you know, how can we bring multimedia into the way that we start to develop and explore together? How can we create maybe like an online, you know, it's just new methods and new tools for really getting to the same thing, you know, but we've been exploring with multi-person. So through online collaboration tools, you know, kind of some innovation journaling as we've been going along. So we can still kind of keep this flow of progress and this open communication and, and shared experience, right? So sharing and creating something together, but we're doing it from you know, our dining room or our living room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where everybody else is doing it from, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's different. And obviously we want less of it, but there has to be, you know, it's accelerating, obviously our ability to do this and find ways of doing it virtually. uh, Because I agree when you're in in person, you get to do those meetings. I've been in many where you're throwing up, you know, sticky notes on the wall and everybody else is, you know, contributing and it gets that group dynamic going. You have to Find a way to do that, right? You can't totally replicate it, but but you can come up with some tests that kind of get you there. And that's, again, how I looked at that app that just uh, came out, the Clubhouse app. There were some mm-hmm. things missing in our world. And it's it's very basic that it solved uh, the ability to walk in a room and to hear a conversation and and be part of it. That's a very, very basic need we all have. And it, it hasn't really been presented to us in the technology space. So 
you know, something yeah. as simple as that, that can change the way you do things. And I, I was putting it as a, you could scratch that itch, basically, you know, we all have that itch to be in a room together and doing things and talking and being part of the conversation. Well, yeah. that's a little, another little virtual way that scratch that itch, but there's a lot more than just that. It takes a lot more tools. So we keep building them, I guess, and doing it the best we can as we go. Yeah. We do have a lot of people who come to us and they, they're like, well, when things open up, we want to do this offsite or, yeah, no. you know, or can we just do an offsite now? Is there any way we can make that happen? You know, and I think that in the spirit of, of what we've been talking about through this whole time is like really kind of rethinking it and saying, well, instead of replicating and trying to recreate the inside the room with the sticky note experience. How can we share an experience? Let's look at our goals and objectives of this. How can we share this experience? How Mm. can we grow and develop together? And these are the tools that we have to do that. And how can we rethink this? You know, and there's a lot of new technology that's, you know, and I'll put a plug in there for, you know, there's Mural and Miro and Figma. And there's a lot of really great technologies that kind of help us collaborate. Yeah. But it feels like in some ways trying to replicate that experience. And so we're trying to look beyond that. And and so far, we've had some pretty great new tools that have come out of it. So. Yeah, I've even used, I mean, the tools have been around for a while, like Trello or Slack, yeah. that are a lot of those collaboration effort tools out there that bring that group interface to the virtual world. So I'm glad that they're there. But it is, again, you know, there's issues out there that need to be solved. And we as humans have to come a way of doing it together and coming up with new ways to scratch that itch. I don't know if that's the best way of putting it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to figure out a new way to do it. And that's just like uh, up in the, uh, the snow, uh, wet, snowy weather up North, you know, when the community has to come together and clean each other's driveway or, you know, your, your mother or your, your older relative living next to you that can't get out there and you help them. All these little things that we do that are different, that interact and, and, are, and kind of go out of our normal way to become more human, even though it's in a virtual world. Yeah. I welcome that. The, the virtual ne- world needs more of that. And we're all looking for that interaction. So it's, it's great to learn more about that from you and, and that, that there's a, a better way of looking at this than just a, my old little siloed view over here as an old dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah, so all good stuff. Well, Katie, wonderful to have you here. Uh, is there anything yeah. else you'd like to add before we let you go? No, it's really, thank you for the chance to talk to you about this. You know, this is really where I, I could talk all day. I love nerding out on, on some of this. So I appreciate the opportunity. It's always great to talk to you, Adam. And yeah, um, sounds good. You. Is there a website where people could find that? Oh my gosh. Or? Yeah. So you can find us at uh, www.workstrategy. So it's W-E-R-K. Yes, W-E-R-K. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where, um, it kind of comes from the idea, Philip from the German Yep. work connotates like a hand working. So a learning through doing, mm, and that's really nice. core to some of our values. So learning through doing, so we choose to spell it that way. W-E-R-K strategy.com. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll put a link to that in our conversation again. Katie, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you again. Thank you for listening to the all digital additive manufacturing podcast. If you would like to help support and build our community, take action and press follow, subscribe, comment below or please leave a review and don't forget to share thanks for continuing the conversation this is adam penis signing off see you soon